as uh, Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he doesn't tell people to check their brain in the door. He doesn't tell people in uh, the Sermon on the Mount uh, to not use discernment. Jesus actually doesn't tell people throughout the Sermon on the Mount to, uh, to never be discerning and judging. Now, what Jesus does do is he oftentimes, for the follower of Christ, for the follower of His, he takes it to a new level. That he says a lot of times we only judge actions, but we need to be careful because beyond just the actions, there's also a heart in the matter, right? There, that we need to discern really what is going on in our hearts and in our lives. But notice what Jesus says. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same measure you judge others, you will also be judged. And with the measure you yourself used, it will be measured back to you. What is he saying? He says, be careful how you judge others. Be careful that when you judge others, you judge them righteously and fairly. This word judge, uh, krino in Scripture, uh, it is really a courtroom term. Uh, most people want justice until they're the one that's being judged. How many of you know that? Then we all want mercy, right? Man, we want justice. We want justice. We want justice until I've messed up. Then I want mercy and I want grace. And I want mercy and I want grace. And what he's saying is be careful how you judge others because it will be measured back to you the same way. But then he drops down and he says, hey, before you go judge someone else, be sure you take the log out of your own eye. See, Jesus is acknowledging the realities that none of us are perfect. And we don't need to look at others expecting them to be perfect. And then he goes on to say, hey, be careful how you measure out justice and judgment because it will be measured back to you in the same way. And what do you mean by that? Well, if we walk around looking at people who are outside the faith or outside the world or even inside the church that don't live exactly like us, if we pick and choose what we're going to judge, be careful because then they're going to pick and choose what they want to judge back against you. And so Jesus is speaking to the whole person, to the whole being, to us, that we all want to always, first and foremost, examine our own lives, examine our own hearts, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when he's bringing uh, the people of Corinth uh, to the Lord's table, which is what we did this, uh, this weekend, we celebrated the Lord's Supper. One of the things that Paul said is, says, let every person examine themselves before they come to the Lord's table. Well, we want to examine ourselves first of all to see if we're in the faith, right? Because if you look at those words, when it talks about uh, the Lord's Supper, he's, Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. This do in remembrance of me. Well, how can we come to the Lord's table? Only if we're coming to the Lord's table having experienced Christ in the past. See, that's the key to remembering something, right? To remember something, you have to have first known it beforehand, right? Or you're just learning it. But to come to the Lord's table and look at the bread and say that represents the body of Christ that was, that was nailed to the cross for me, that means I'm remembering what the bread signifies. For me to come to the Lord's table and remember that the wine or the juice 
was literally Christ's blood that was shed for me. I have to have first known Him as Savior and Lord so I can come to the Lord's table and remember it. So when Jesus comes to this passage, while people will oftentimes use it against us, it is a good challenge for us. People love to use it against us as followers, especially when we happen to, to take biblical uh, mandates or biblical commands against this or biblical pro prohibitions against this sin or that sin, that when we export those outside into community and we say, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, there's nothing wrong with doing that as long as we come with a pure heart and an honest evaluation of our own lives, that we are all sinners. But we also have to remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God didn't wait for us to shape up before He sent His Son. God sent His Son and then offered the invitation for us to shape up. And so as we take and export our faith, if we are going to draw others into the faith, we can't lead with a hypocritical judgment. We can't act like we are perfect because none of us are. We have to start by examining our own lives and our own heart. Now, here's the beauty of it. That as children of God... When we examine our own lives, if we truly have trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, we will be honest enough to evaluate our lives in such a way that regardless of how new to the faith or how long you've been in the faith, we are still not perfect. How many of you know? We're not there. Our overriding mindset and heartbeat as humble followers of Christ ought to always be that I don't deserve the grace of God. And the second side of that, or the other side of that same coin, ought to be I should be more righteous, more pure, and more holy than I am. Guys, that ought to be a sense in each and every one of our lives, right? I will tell you as your pastor now for almost 26 years, there's not a day that I don't walk through life that th I don't think, you know, I ought to be further along in my faith. I ought to be more righteous in my walk and in my words and in my, more, in my relationships. I ought to be more spiritually mature than I am. I walk with that weight and that understanding each and every day. And I hope you do too. Because if you ever feel like, or if I ever feel like we've arrived, then we become judges that Jesus warns us against. The man, part of an invitation to the grace of God is understanding the grace of God. I'm going to say that again. Part of understanding the grace of God is understanding it is grace that it is unmerited favor. And then we can go to anyone and everyone, regardless of how they're living or how they're talking or how their relationships are or what their actions are or perhaps this sin or that sin that is expressly prohibited in Scripture. Then we can go to them with grace-filled lives. And we can point out that that is a sin 
But that's why Jesus Christ died. But for us to do that, if we are honest examiners of our own lives, here are a couple of things that we need to know, and I want to encourage you to write this down. And hopefully these ideas today will help us as we interact with the lost world, with a world that, uh, man, we just look around and, and, and we just are amazed. I'm amazed almost daily at some of the executive orders I've seen written recently, some of the, some of the things that are happening in our schools and around our nation, and just some of the lawlessness that is happening. But for you and I to truly be the kind of witnesses that God wants us to be, here are a couple of ideas that you and I need to understand. First of all, you and I have to walk with a sense and an understanding that I am completely, as a child of God, I am completely accepted by God. With all my flaws, with all my sinfulness, and with all of my struggles, I am completely accepted by God as I am with all of my sins forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, one of the things that we hate is rejection. We all hate to be rejected, right? We, we love to be accepted. But as it comes to God's Word, notice what it says uh, here in 1 John. Chapter, can someone mute themselves? You're, we all hear you coughing. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. That we should be called children of God. What does that mean? That, that God, in His infinite holiness and in His amazing holiness, looks at me, a sinful person, one that does not belong in his family. How many of you know? I don't deserve the grace of God. That instead, instead of him looking at me, going, you know, John Mark, you're a long way away from being accepted by me. He says, you are fully and completely accepted by me. And notice what it says. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Man, See, God isn't a distant God, guys. He is a heavenly Father that chooses a relationship with us because of who He is, not because of who we are. And so notice He says, He lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Now, as we think about having an interaction with the lost and a dying world, a broken world, a sinful world, we need to take the acceptance that we have from God and offer that same acceptance to others, that if you will simply come to God with humility and brokenness and repent from your sins, change your mind about who Christ is and what He did for you on the cross, and realize that only through the cross do we all have forgiveness of sins, then God will lavish upon you the same love that He lavished on me. And remind them that He didn't lavish His love on me because I'm spotless and blameless. He lavished His love on me because of His grace and His love. That so much so that we can be called children of God. When is the last time you've thought of yourself as a child of God? 
You know, we go through life and we think of ourselves, well, I'm a husband, I'm a pastor, uh, uh, you know, I'm a dad, I'm, I'm a friend, I'm this, I'm that, I'm a, I'm a carpenter, I'm an electrician, I'm a, uh, I'm a this guy or I'm a that kind of guy, I'm an IT guy. When's the last time your first thought in the morning or my first thought in the morning is, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. Guys, that ought to be our first thought in the morning. When I wake up and I think about it, and I think about my broken t- brokenness, and I, uh, I spend time in my morning devotion, that one of the first things that I should be thinking about is that when I pray and when I talk to God, He looks at me as one of His children. He doesn't see my brokenness and my frailty and my sinfulness. Why? Because that's all been paid for and removed and taken care of on the cross over 2,000 years ago. Therefore, it says, God lavished on us His great love that we should be called children of God. And listen to this last phrase. And that is what we are. Guys, if you have trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, the God who spoke the world into existence, the God who holds it all together, the God who sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins and mine, looks at you and said, that's mine. He's one of mine. We are completely accepted by God as one of His children. Guys, if we are going to have an impact on a lost and a broken and a dying world, it starts with that idea that I am a child of God. And the invitation I make to a lost and a dying and broken world is simply this, and you can be a child of God too. Regardless of the home that you grew up in, regardless of of what coast you grew up on, regardless of whether you grew up in a different country, a different space, a different place, regardless of what your occupation is, regardless of your sins and your failures, you too can be a child of God. That God desperately desires more than anything else to lavish His love upon you just like He lavished it on me. Man, that is our witness. That is our testimony. Not because I am so awesome, but because God is so loving. So guys, if you haven't thought that, you are completely accepted by God. That should not bring us to a place of self-pride and self-righteousness, but a place of acknowledging that God had to overlook a lot to choose me. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Do you all realize that God had to overlook a whole lot to choose you and to choose me? Man, in my case, God had to choose to overlook a lot. God still chooses to overlook a lot because of His Son, Jesus Christ, right? And so as we think about that idea, if we are going to truly have an impact on this world, it starts with us understanding that we are fully accepted by God, not because of how awesome we are, 
Not because of how perfect we are. Not because of our self-righteousness, but because of who God is. Here's another passage. Look at what Zephaniah said in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. He said, The Lord your God is with you. So now, we're talking about how do we take the idea that I am a child of God with His love lavished on me and take it outside into a culture that is anti-faith, anti-Christian, and becoming more so. It's this idea, that God's lavished His love on me, so much so that He's willing to call me a child of God, and now every step I take, I can remember that God is with me. So notice what Zephaniah said. He says, The Lord your God is with you. He is a mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In His love, He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Now, as we think about that, so God lavished His love on me, so much so that He makes me a child of God, that regardless of where I go, regardless of what culture wants to say to me or about me, I can understand that God is right there with me. But it doesn't stop there. When things get hard out there, Notice what I know as a child of God. It says that the Lord is with you, the mighty warrior who saves you. Man is a man who has been lavished on by God's love, who has been chosen as a child of God. We journey and walk with God with us. And when things get hard, I don't have to shrink back. I don't have to turtle up. I don't have to be fearful of anything that the culture is going to bring my way. Why? Because the mighty warrior who saves is right there with me. And so guys, as you journey back to the office or wherever you are today, you need to understand you are going in the presence of the mighty warrior who saves not just you, but anybody else who will come to faith. I mean, that is what allows us and enables us and propels us to be godly witnesses, to be salt and to be light in every space, in every place in our life. Now, as we read on, He will take great delight in you. Man, guys, for, for us as men, you know, here's what we know is we love people to think we're awesome. I don't know about how many of you kind of like it when somebody thinks like you're pretty awesome. Like, like when they, uh, they say, man, you're so talented. When's the last time someone said you've, you're so talented? Um, and you thought in your mind, boy, if they only knew. Right? I mean, that kind of the way we operate. We all do. We like. You know, if you look in Scripture, what does Scripture say? Talking about the husband-wife relationship. In, 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 in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husband. Isn't that what we like more than anything? Man, I don't care if you love me, just respect me. That's kind of the, that's kind of the way we operate, right, as men? We like for people to think that we are pretty cool, that we're pretty awesome. And as you think about this passage, it says, He will take great delight in you. Man, what an incredible thought that as I journey through my life today, 
that God looks at me, having already lavished His love on me, having chosen me as His child, that He not only is with me as a mighty warrior, but He takes delight in my life and in what I do and how I operate and how I interact with others. Now that ought to be a motivating factor for each and every one of us to live righteous and godly lives, but also to live courageous lives. That, man, I am willing to be bold and upfront with my faith. Now, I want you to know that word bold, it doesn't mean caustic. See, I don't have to be caustic with my faith. I can be gracious with my faith, but I can also be bold. Man, the, 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 the kind of relationship that we have with God that causes us to be completely accepted or that reminds us that we are completely accepted enables us to walk with a boldness in our faith. That if I am bold in who I am, that I'm a follower of Christ, that I am a Christian, yes, not because of how good I am, but because of how awesome and gracious and loving God is, then as my boldness gets attacked, all I have to worry is, see, remember, I'm not living my life so that you will delight in me. I'm living my life so God delights in me. And that allows us to stand strong and stand against anything if we as men... Please, God. Man, we can do anything, guys. And we don't have to be caustic. We don't have to be angry at the world. All we have to do is live out who we are. And I love these words. He will take great delight in you. In His love, He will no longer rebuke you. Man, that means that when you and I do fall short, when we do drop the ball, when I do sin, and we do, that man, that means I can drop on my knees or even just in the car or uh, as I'm walking through the office, that I can just confess my sins and He forgives us of all unrighteousness. And guys, I, I don't know when the last time you've really confessed your sins. But if that is not a common habit in your life, that is not a spiritual discipline in your life, we need to redevelop it. Man, we need to redevelop it. Going back to our original passage, if we aren't willing to pause and honestly examine what I say and how I say things and how I interact with others and step back and ask God to forgive me of this and that, then what happens is I begin to do and be exactly what Jesus warned me against being in Matthew chapter 7. A person that walks around judging others for their own sin but never examining our own lives. See, if we walk through life and develop a mindset that I am pretty much all that in the bag of chips, 
and I don't ever need to confess what I say and what I do, I become exactly what Jesus warned us against. People who judge others with, without ever examining what's in our own life. And you say, how do we get the Father to no longer rebuke us? Just ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Confess your sins, and He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of all of our sins. And then notice what it says. He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Now, I want you to know, if you go to the Hebrew, this is real important, guys. Notice God is doing the singing here, not you. How many of you understand? I don't want to hear you sing. Let God sing over you. Probably He's in tune. But you and I need to understand that if we walk with humble and gracious lives in such a way that as we journey through life, that, that we are going to honestly examine our own hearts and our own life long before I judge someone else. But then I am going to understand when I examine my life, I'm going to see sinfulness and brokenness, but God lavished His love on each and every one of us in such a way that He is willing to call us a child of God. And that, as John says, is exactly what we are. So guys, when we hit the doors here in a few minutes, I want every one of you to hit those doors hard. And walk out into a world that may reject you, may reject your faith. And you say, none of that matters because I am a child of God. And I am totally accepted. If the people at your office begin to reject you, you're accepted by God. If people around you in your neighborhood begin to reject you, you can say, I'm accepted by God. And that matters. And when you find yourself in a battle... Man, it seems like the world's going to win or Satan's going to tear you down. You can say, you know what? The mighty warrior who saves is right next to me. And all I have to do is live a God-honoring, righteous, not self-righteous, righteous life, and God will take delight in me. No, I'm not going to hit those doors as a perfect individual, but I am going to hit those doors as a forgiven individual. And then I want to constantly live a life of confession and honesty and mercy and, man, and not being someone who judges others before I'm willing to examine my own heart and my own life. Now, if you go back to the original passage, even as children of God, Jesus is not saying don't ever judge someone else. But He is saying, get the log out of your own eye first. Man, what is the log in your eye? We all have them. I want you to know, guys, we all have How many of you know we all have them? And probably your log is a little different than mine. I've noticed. I've watched some of you guys. It's a lot bigger and worse than mine. Y'all smile because you know what I'm saying, right? We, 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 have, we have a tendency to point out someone else's sin and say that's a worse sin than my sin. You know, that's, that's kind of the definition of a good sermon is one that doesn't apply to me, but I can tell you who it applies to. That's right. But as we drop back and we think, man, I am completely accepted by God. Now, so here's what that means. It's not only am I accepted by God, I've been lavished by His love. I am completely forgiven that He cheers me on. And when I get in a battle, the mighty warrior who saves is with me. You want to know what else it means? Is that as children of God, not only am I accepted... 
I ultimately don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear death. Boy, notice what Paul says. You say, how do I make sure of that, Pastor? Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. He says, if we declare with your mouth, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So as we journey from here, as followers of Christ, we don't have to fear death, but men, we also want to share that message for other people. That this same idea of being forgiven by God, being a child of God, being cheered on by God, having God happy with me and not angry with me, is something that we can all receive. How do we do that? We just simply declare with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, and you will be saved. That is the invitation to everybody. Remember, the whole idea is I'm going from real to real. I'm becoming a fisher of men. That once I understand who I am is fully and completely forgiven and accepted by God, then I can really begin to share the message that ultimately matters. Because everyone's greatest fear is death. Period. Everyone's greatest fear is death. I don't know about you, but I have fears, right? Just the older I get, it seems like I have become more and more afraid of heights. Am I, is that just a natural thing? Is that, I remember not caring much about heights, and now it doesn't take me to get up far that I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't really like being up here. There was a day and age that I thought I could always land on my feet. How many of you remember you had that cat-like feeling that you always thought you could land on your feet? Now I realize, man, if I fall from here, things are going to break badly, Right? And, and here's, we all have fears, and some of you are fearful of this, and some of you are fearful of that. And, but here's what we all know. The ultimate fear we all have is dying. But the beautiful message of the gospel is that man's greatest fear was overcome at a tomb over 2,000 years ago.